Hi, it's Kim and Phil delivering a special episode on COVID-19, the virus that has caused a worldwide pandemic affecting 157 countries and territories. This is what we can share with you. Welcome to the World Nomads podcast, delivered by World Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous, independent traveler. And Phil, we're doing it from our wardrobes yeah. because we're not allowed to go to the office. No, self-isolating. <laughs> travel really has certainly changed in the past few weeks. With countries in lockdown, flights changed or cancelled, popular sites closed, and as we just said, self-isolation rules imposed. And even as you're listening to this episode, a lot will be changing or will have changed in the country that you're in or that you plan to visit. It's incredibly quick. It's moving so fast. So look, in this episode, we're going to address some frequently asked questions about the virus and how it may affect your travel. Speak to Liz, who's in lockdown in Italy, and chat with a dad living a nomadic lifestyle with his family and determined to keep traveling, even though they're forced to constantly shift their plans at the moment. First, though, Chief Medical Officer with the NIB Group, Dr Melissa Nadu, is here to remind us what the coronavirus is, the symptoms, who's at risk and how do you catch or even avoid catching it. So coronaviruses are a large group of viruses and they generally cause mild illnesses in humans such as the common cold. COVID-19 or COVID-19 virus is a new strain of coronavirus that's not been previously identified in humans. And because we've not been exposed to it, we're not entirely sure around how it operates and I, a lot of the measures that we're taking at the moment around ensuring that we protect people from this virus. What are the symptoms then before we start talking about how you would catch it or how to protect yourself? Yeah, so um, the symptoms are actually quite similar to um, other um, respiratory illnesses. So symptoms can include fever, flu-like symptoms, which are um, often cough, sore throat or fatigue in, for coronavirus or shortness of breath. I think it's important to remember that most people, um, usually about 80% of people, will have minor, if any, symptoms. But there are a group of people who are more vulnerable um, and may develop more severe symptoms as well. The, the focus really for us is in trying to maintain good practices that prevent the spread so that those people who are in a more vulnerable group, for example, the elderly, um, those with chronic disease, um, those in settings where there's close contact with other people, may be at more risk and may experience much more significant symptoms and also complications, including uh, respiratory distress and pneumonia, um, that we protect them from the spread of the virus. All right. Well, let's talk about protection then. So number one is wash your hands, right? Absolutely. So I think there are things that we can all do to, to ensure that we reduce the spread of the coronavirus um, to those that we care about. And absolutely, washing your hands. So practicing meticulous hygiene, washing your hands regularly and certainly before you eat or after you go to the bathroom uh, or where you're interacting with people. And that's with soap and water for um, a good thorough wash for at least 20 seconds uh, will certainly kill those germs um, and, and protect those that you're interacting with. If you don't have access to soap and water, you can use alcohol-based um, hand sanitizers, and uh, that will do a good job as well. You need to make sure that you're covering your coughs and your sneezes with either your elbow or a tissue and then dispose of the tissue properly. Also, be sure to be cleaning and disinfecting surfaces because we are aware that the, the virus can um, survive on surfaces. 
handshaking, you know, like reducing all that sort of con- contact as well. I think we should definitely be thinking about reducing sort of skin to skin contact. So that's, you know, handshaking. There's lots of other ways to, to say hello. Um, and I've seen some really good um, posters and suggestions there about, you know, different cultural ways to say hello that doesn't involve handshaking. Do you know my favourite one of those somebody shared around? They said we should go back to, you know, like Edwardian times, like in the Jane Austen novels. And the first person should bow to the other one and the second person, regardless of gender, should curtsy. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I'll be looking for that. Thank you, Melissa. That is COVID-19 in a nutshell. But, Phil, what are some other ways you can greet people without touching? I'm really not convinced about that curtsying. (laughs) No, I'm going to do it, though. (laughs) You would. Look, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you can salute, touch elbows. Uh, Look, you can wave. You could wink or do the namaste, which is popular in uh, India and Nepal. And if you normally kiss somebody, you know, the European kiss on a couple of cheeks, simply do a, you know, blow them a kiss through the air without touching. It is hard because, you know, reaching out to shake a hand is such second nature, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but we've got to do it. All great suggestions. Now, what are some of the frequently asked questions then from travellers regarding this virus? Yeah, well, well, no, Matt, we've got a a list of FAQs on travel insurance by country because we've got um, you know, six different underwriters, so it varies from country to country. How does it affect your travel plans? Again, a list of helpful links in show notes, but here's some things you can do straight up. Look, contact your airline, your cruise line or your tour operator to check if their services are affected very likely at the moment. If you need to change your travel arrangements, contact those people, the airlines and travel providers, and ask them for assistance in the first place. Go to them first because they will have got things set up where they're already helping their customers as well. So see what they're doing. Then you need to refer to your World Nomads policy wording for more detail. Um, Go to those FAQ pages before you try calling our contact centre because everybody's trying to do it at the moment and there's really, really long waiting times. We will get to everybody eventually, but sorry, you just have to be um, patient. Look, all policy terms, conditions, limitations and all those usual exclusions still apply. If you're injured or ill, contact the emergency assistance team as soon as you can. Look, their details are in your certificate of insurance and they're also on our website. One of the problems we're facing at the moment with high volume of calls is we're trying to clear that backlog as fast as we can so that genuine emergencies, you know, health emergencies can get through. So that's another reason we want you to go to the FAQs. In the event of a claim covered by your policy, you must do everything you can to minimise and reduce the cost of your claim. And of course, you've got to provide all the supporting documentation, expenses, incurred receipts, all those sorts of things. If you intend to submit a claim, please complete the claim form. And if you need help doing this, then get in the queue, but we will be able to uh, help you with that as well. Thank you. And as Phil said, all that in show notes. Elizabeth Heath is a travel writer and editor based in central Italy. I mean, we're isolating ourselves, yeah. but our in country, a, in a cupboard, the yeah. state we live in, <laughs> yeah, in a cupboard, we are not in complete lockdown, unlike uh, Liz. Where are you in Italy, Liz? Uh, I'm in central Italy, so I'm in, in the um, region of Umbria, which is, uh, we're about halfway between Florence and Rome. And uh, everything's closed. So even if a tourist could come to Italy right now, there's not a whole lot to do here. Restaurants are closed. Bars are closed. All monuments, museums, archaeological sites, 
everything's closed. But what about supermarkets? Are they still operating? Can you get food? Grocery stores and pharmacies, banks, I think (laughs) tobacco stores. We don't have we don't really have liquor stores, but I'm sure if we did, they would be open too. Um, those have remained open. Post office, I don't know if I said that one. So any essential services, but you have to respect a one meter distance from anybody else in the in the same building space. And people are lining up outside of these businesses and staying in line a meter uh, distant from one another, and then only entering, you know a few people at a time so that within the store or whatever the business they can also respect that one meter distance people are trying people are this is the the, the italian people the italian government and and medical community everything has has really demonstrated some courage in the face of this to be quite honest so um people are trying i mean there's a certain amount of panic um with you know people rushing to the grocery store to stock up on things but so far as what we're being told now the supply chain is not going to be interrupted so there shouldn't be food shortages medicine shortages things like that so if everybody stays calm you know it's stressful but i think we'll get through it so you can leave your house to go and buy food that's not an issue if i leave the house to go buy food i have to have a document with me a a form that i filled out that declares the purpose of my trip and if i get stopped by carbonieri you know by the local police they will look at the form sign it and then you know let me go on my way and my husband is going back and forth to his job site he works in construction and he's still allowed to go to work and he as of yet has not been stopped but if he is stopped, he has his document with him that says, hey, you know, I have a justifiable reason. It doesn't feel scary in the sense that we're, you know, fearing, you know, a military coup or something like that. It doesn't, there, there's no sense of, um, there's no adversarial sense like us versus the government. It's not, I have to say, it's not that at all, at all. Um if there's anything I could convey to people outside of Italy, it's just we're, we're not on, you know, some kind of martial lockdown with machine gun police roaming the streets, things like that. It's just not like that. Um, it's just strange. It just feels strange that we have to stay, stay inside or within the perimeter of our own homes, pretty much. Um, I apparently can go walk the dogs today. I did check on that and I will be able to take the dogs out, but I think I have to take one of those papers with me when I go. Well, you know what? I, I don't mean to die, sound like in a schadenfreude or harboring yeah. bad news or anything, but this is coming. Yeah. It's coming for the, the rest of the world. And I, I imagine that other countries are going to look to Italy as a test case. Are people working from home? Is still able to work? Um, I'm able to work because I work from home anyway. So it's not, you know, it's probably less disruptive for me than it has for a lot of people. The most disruptive thing for me is that my daughter's home from school and I have to keep her occupied and also try to be productive during the day. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's my, this is not in, in, in the, as hardships go, it could be a lot worse. Um, now they've closed all uh, non-essential offices. So people who like my husband, as I said, he's, he works at a job site with just a few a few people and they're in the out in the open so he can go to work um but non-essential services have been told to stay home and work from home isn't really a big part of the culture here yet because 
there's not that many people, at least in the place where I live, that work in the technology sector, for example, or who have a type of work that that is suitable for working from home. But I think a lot of people are going to be discovering that, yeah, it actually is possible. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard, but in Australia, there's been sort of panic buying in our supermarkets and the... Uh, it's pretty hard to buy rice, pasta, and toilet paper, for heaven's sake. Yeah, my niece lives in Sydney, and she says right. she can't find toilet paper. I know. Yeah. And apparently if you want to buy hand sanitizer, you have to go into the chemist and it's kept behind the uh, behind mm-hmm. the counter. It's like you're buying methadone or something, you know. So it's a, that sort of, you know, level of craziness in around shopping and hoarding in where you are? I haven't seen – the only thing we've not – we've not been able to find here is hand sanitizer and antiseptic wipes, but that's been a month. We haven't been able to find those. I've been making my own hand sanitizer at home. Um, Oh, what's your recipe? What are you doing? Alcohol, uh, rubbing alcohol. And I have aloe vera gel. Like we have, I had some on hand for, you know, sunburn. Um, So, and vodka would work too. It's a, you know, (laughs) tragic waste of vodka, but it'll work. I mean, we need the vodka for other purposes right now. Yeah, but, yes. uh, <laughs> you know, if you're in lockdown for much longer, you're going to need it. <laughs> but, and, you know, I wrote a blog, not a blog post, but I wrote a Facebook post about this a couple of days ago. We're not having the run on toilet paper. And I think it's because we have bidets. I, w- I bumped into a guy at the local coffee shop the other morning and he, he was obviously a tradesman and he was wearing a shirt and he was a plumber. And I said, mate, you know, this is a great opportunity for you. Um, you know, are you advertising big day in a day installations? <laughs> <laughs> Those bidets don't look so silly now. huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But okay. So there's no sort of, you know, people marching around. It's not you versus the government. Is, and you say there's, you know, obviously an anxiety in the air as well. But is there a bit of a we're all in this together sort of uh, camaraderie about it? Very, very much so. I would say that, uh, you know, I can't say I have my finger on the pulse of all of Italy, but yeah. from what I have seen from the wider, you know, social media community, from the groups, you know, the mom groups with their, my kids' school and everything else, there is very much a sense of, yes, we're all in this together. And as much as this is disturbing and disrupting, it's also had a very unifying effect on the people of Italy, I would say. And there is trust in the government. Our government has been proactive, aggressive, and very, very transparent. I feel really sad for the older generation because not only are they at risk, but they probably wouldn't have seen measures like this since uh, World War II. And also you can't go to mass. So is there anxiety amongst the the older generation there? I think so, and I certainly hope so. Um, I hope people aren't taking it too lightly. We have been repeatedly scolding my mother-in-law to stay inside, to not have people coming in and out of her house you know, to not be doing the things that she's just used to doing. And we're more, I mean, you know, certainly we could fall ill with coronavirus or we could catch coronavirus and be carriers of it and not know it. And our our concerns are for our older relatives because they are so vulnerable, Um, which is part of the reason we've had a, you know, reasonably high, relatively high death rate in Italy 
is because we have such a high population of seniors. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing, Liz. It was fun to speak to other human beings. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Now you know our numbers. If you get lonely, just call. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You guys talk. (laughs) I'm lonely. Now, Liz mentioned that sense of camaraderie that exists in Italy as a result of the lockdown. And recently there was haunting footage of people across Italy singing the Song of Verbena, a traditional patriotic folk song from their balconies. And that was to keep up morale and obviously because of social distancing. something in my eye kim sorry (laughs) me too (laughs) look at a time of when we recorded this spain had locked down its citizens and france was locking down pretty much everything including the eiffel tower while in iran they're struggling with the rising death toll and the uk's thinking about imposing self-isolation for anyone over the age of 70 And when you think about how travel impacts you, we have someone on our team who has her dad's uh, in the UK and is elderly and she feels that she might not be able to get to him. Yeah, yeah, if something happens, she wouldn't even be able to get there. No, it's, it's terrible. Peter and his wife, Monica, they're from Vancouver in Canada. Now, they quit their jobs, sold their home, most of their possessions. They started travelling the world in June 2019. Obviously, it's very different now, Phil. Uh, Yeah, look, it began with a cross-Canada road trip all summer long, tenting most of the way, uh, with their kids who are six and eight. And in September 29, began the international leg of their journey in Asia. And we catch up with them in uh, Vietnam, where they are monitoring the situation with the virus right now. We're cautious. We're not so frightened about our own safety, you know. Um, as the oldest member of the family at 45, I'm still in a very low-risk group. We have two kids, six and eight, um, and getting as much information as we can. But from everything that I've learned so far, children are at the least risk. Um, most of the time, they might not even show any symptoms. So they're more of a risk to transmit the disease than they are to suffer from it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're relatively healthy people and um, we're not health nuts by any stretch. Yeah, we're not so much concerned about our own personal safety. We're uh, more concerned about how this is going to affect our travels and whether or not we're going to be able to get into a country or and then be able to leave from that country or be quarantined and those sort of things. We've been in... Um, Vietnam since the 15th of February, so just the very beginning of the outbreak. Uh, we were in Hanoi, like just outside a suburb of Hanoi for about a month. And then uh, we've been traveling south uh, since then. So uh, two weeks in Ninh Binh and uh, we've been in Da Nang for about two weeks, almost just under two weeks. Um, so we've kind of seen the progression of things. And at first Vietnam was one of the first countries uh, with cases but they, they crack down quick. And uh, it, it really is, at this point, is probably one of the safest places in the world to be. I think the latest numbers are 38 cases. So what does that crackdown look like? 
Well, at first in Hanoi, it was like we were in a condo in this place called Eco Park, which is a suburb, and it's sort of like a, a recreation of a, a North American uh, suburb. So lots of green space and quiet streets and uh, condo towers and whatnot. So um, they started off with like um, announcements three times a day, very loud throughout the whole building in Vietnamese. We had no idea what they were saying, but our hosts uh, gave us a translation that basically they're talking about um, people wearing masks all the time. And there were signs up that we also couldn't read necessarily. Um, and hand sanitizer, most of the residents were wearing masks. And it all happened during Tet, of course. So it was already a ghost town just because of Tet. So most of the businesses were closed for a week. Um, that's the Lunar New Year celebration. And, and it's, you know, it's not a thing that that uh, should be a draw for anybody as an aside because there's not really much way for a tourist to participate. Um, and so I think that helped uh, mitigate the spread as well because people were, you know, more or less keeping it themselves. Um, so there's hand sanitizer everywhere and they were um, uh, disinfecting the elevators three times a day. And uh, there's a shuttle bus that you get on and they would ask everybody to wear a mask on the shuttle bus and, and literally every single person on that bus had a mask on. There's hand sanitizers getting on and off the bus. We managed to get some masks, but most places sold out rather quickly. But we got some face masks and, and some hand sanitizer. And, uh, you know, it was still, there's still people going to the mall and things like that. And there's still people out and about. But uh, then when we came to Ninbin, it seemed like they weren't concerned about it at all. And there was three weeks where there was absolutely no new cases in Vietnam. So we kind of relaxed for a while, weren't really thinking about it much, and but still keeping track with the news. And then coming to Da Nang just about four days ago, a woman flew back from the UK. She's a Vietnamese woman who had been to Italy and had some symptoms, but didn't tell anyone. And she was in business class. She spread it to a couple of people from the UK there, and they've spread it around a bit. So things have ramped up again, and very much everybody's wearing a face mask, which WHO says is not as an important thing. They don't recommend people wear face masks unless they're infected or symptomatic. But you see people driving around in a car by themselves wearing a face mask. Do you have... Plans to travel, obviously, uh, somewhere else. You've got some plans. Where was going to be next? And have you kept those plans the same? Uh, at, at the time being, we have. And it was the funny thing is that at the beginning of this, when we weren't as concerned about it, we planned our vacation or, or our travels up until Vietnam. And then we started making plans while we were in Hanoi for the rest of the summer because we thought we got to start booking ahead before things get all filled up which I don't think is quite a, uh, a concern at the moment. Planned everything out almost till the end of October. <laughs> so luckily, uh, Airbnb has a good policy where they'll, uh, you know, reimburse your money if its uh, plans have to be changed or canceled due to coronavirus concerns. Our next destination is Malaysia. Um, and we're supposed to be traveling there in two weeks. And um, we actually had our flights in and out of Malaysia canceled. And I believe that was due to uh, capacity, so they didn't have enough customers. So we rebooked our flight into Malaysia and at a, a lower rate and a better time. So that was actually a benefit to some degree. And what we were just kind of holding off on booking our flight out of Malaysia because we might want to move that date up. Uh, we also had a booking 
uh, Airbnb booking cancel on us in Kuala Lumpur. Um, and then he said that was due to coronavirus concerns. And this that was quite a while ago when there was very few cases there. But we found another place in Penang at uh, a better rate and really nice place at a discounted rate. So that was... I guess, uh, somewhat of a benefit to us. So right now we're just monitoring the situation in Malaysia. Two things, if I can. One is you will mm-hmm. love Penang. It's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the other thing is, what I'm wondering is, we, we, we're in a, a situation now where it's about protecting the herd, you know, the herd being all of global human population. Are you considering at all about, you know, what consequence your actions may have? And are you sort of second-guessing yourself on that or? Well, um, I, maybe we didn't mention this earlier. My wife and I are both registered nurses. I think that we're fairly cautious um, compared to a lot of people probably. We have experience with this. Like we're used to not having to, like not touching our face. So we kind of switch on this mode. Kids might be more of a concern, but, you know, there's two of us, there's two kids. So And, you know, we spend a lot of time as it is just in our place. Um, like we do go out and we do go to eat dinner and stuff. But I, I, I do think at this point that uh, as long as we're very, very careful with uh, hand hygiene primarily and monitoring our kids' symptoms and, and those sort of things, that uh, we can mitigate those risks. And I don't think that we're putting any other people at risk at this point. And if things changed in that regard then we would change our plans accordingly thank you peter who also says worldometer is a great resource full of information about the virus in real time you also mentioned one earlier john hopkins university has got a site yeah a really amazing sort of live graphic there which is pretty interesting dr diana bossio is a senior lecturer in media and communications at swinburne university in australia and she's here to chat about the spread of false claims in response to covid19 and the anxiety that that's causing i think that most people um, who are reading the news daily um, are really feeling fearful and feeling that anxiety and i think in that kind of context where um, there's this big, bad pandemic. Um, people are trying to make sense of it. And one of the ways that people make sense of things is to question them. Um, so I think that's a kind of normal reaction. The other thing, unfortunately, that we do see with these kinds of global events is that there is a spread of what we would call misinformation, uh, whether it's uh, accidental So people trying to do the right thing and share information that they think is important but is uh, later found out to be untrue. Or there's that more kind of malicious um, um, and often politicised spread of misinformation um, that happens during these kinds of global events. And that that spread happens for a number of different um, reasons. But, yes, we do see what um, what's now being called an, an infodemic <laughs> yeah. where, yeah, where um, lots of different contexts for information are being spread and um, wrapping that up with other people's fears and anxieties. Um, we do see um, information that's, that's just not true. Everybody becomes a bit of an instant expert on stuff because they're all consuming it, don't they? Yeah, I think so. And But also, I mean, that is, it's, it's understandable in 
um, in a way because I think that one of the wonderful things about social media really is that when something like this is happening, it's a way for us all to come together and actually share our anxieties and fears and, and our grief, you know, because we do lose things in, in these kinds of situations. Um, but that's a kind of double-edged sword because um, people sharing anxiety but also sharing information and um, sharing what their mothers, brothers, sisters yep. worked, um, that, that, that can have a, a, a negative effect as well. Can we get straight to a couple of you know, maybe misinformation or myths around that. I bumped into a bloke the other day who said he's gargling with vodka oh. so that he doesn't get it. And I said, mate, you're wasting good vodka there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. I, I would say save the vodka for the shutdown <laughs> because he's going to need it to get through <laughs> not being able to go out. But I mean, on a serious note, I think there are a lot of people sharing things that, you know, they say work for them or, you know, on a, in a more kind of negative frame, the sharing misinformation because they want to sell you something. We had the instance with Miranda Kerr, the model, Victoria's Secrets model overnight uh, at the time of recording, who was deferring <laughs> you, to the... You mean, you mean the model slashed immunologist? <laughs> <laughs> well, she probably truly believes that. Taking or having a glass of celery juice each day does help you. I'm a media and communications uh, expert, so you probably I'm not the expert on juicing, but I would say that if the World Health Organization didn't put it on the website, um, <laughs> it's probably not going to help you. <laughs> Speaking of stars, Hollywood actor Tom Hanks is in quarantine here in Australia, and there are some false re reports that you're suggesting around him that are doing the rounds? Yes. Um, actually, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm a little bit sad that this one isn't true. <laughs> but um, the fabulous people at um, Batuta Advocate, uh, which is a satirical news site, they do wonderful work. They shared um, an image of uh, Tom Hanks with a ball with a, a face on it, and you'll know that that's quite Wilson! <laughs> Um, and uh, I actually saw that emerge and um, thought that's such a that's so funny um, you know that's a great way to you know find some humor in this situation but then of course you start to see it on TV uh, news programs and of course it's not true it's Photoshop uh, that kind of fake news look it doesn't have that huge an impact because it's kind of funny and you kind of feel like that's something Tom Hanks would do. <laughs> but yeah. um, as journalists, of course, you have to have a commitment to the truth and whether it's harmless or not, you know, there's an ethical decision that needs to be made in, in this kind of context. Are we going to share everything or are we going to, you know, make decisions about the legitimacy of, of, of information so that people we're not, you know, accidentally alarming people. Back to celery juice then and vodka. <laughs> a steroid anti-inflammatory drug. Now, that's one I haven't come across yet. Is that being suggested as, as something that can protect you from the virus? It has. And that's, this is a huge issue because it was actually shared by um, a politician in France um, who said that anti-inflammatories would have a negative um, impact on people who... Um, were diagnosed with coronavirus or COVID-19 because um, it would mask the symptoms. And that was fairly quickly suggested to be fake. There, There is 
I think there is some suggestion by health authorities that there may be an issue, but it's it's certainly not something that you would be sharing if you just if you didn't know. And of course, this individual um, politician did share it, and it was very quickly picked up. And of course, here's the problem: even when you go back and delete on social media, or even yeah. when you issue a correction, that's just too late. It actually really is hard to clear up a mistake um, once it's been shared. So that's the problem there. Well, in closing then, for everyone listening around the globe, what's your advice on who we should be listening to? I actually think that we need to think about being really good digital citizens and to really think about our own digital literacies. And that actually means not jumping on bandwagons. It means that we just take a moment. There's you know, that share button, once you've shared, it's really fast, you know, things spread really fast. So when you read something, you need to stop and think, well, how does this make me feel? And is this making me feel kind of nervous? And who is saying this? And what's their reason for saying it? I know in this day and age, it's very um, fashionable to question our institutions. Um, in the context of, of COVID-19, I would say that you trust the expertise that's published on the World Health Organization website, on government health websites in your area, and of course, make sure that you're contextualizing that information. So you're getting the information that's relevant to you in your location. Yes, listen to the experts. But what can you do when you love travel and the pandemic has you sitting on the couch? Well, you can take a virtual tour at over 500 museums and galleries around the world online. Uh, Try learning a language online too. And of course, there are plenty of great movies uh, about travel and documentaries to inspire us when this is all over. You can search for travel on Facebook. There's a long list of travel groups there that you can join, connecting you to fellow travel lovers. But as we heard with Diana, uh, be a responsible digital citizen. And if you have any other ideas or would like to share how your travel has been impacted, email podcast at worldnomads.com. Now, a friend of mine, Erin Ramsey, who I worked in radio with, is in Japan. Now, as we know, restrictions are different based on what country you're in. We are here in Australia and our travel restrictions mean that we cannot travel overseas unless it's absolutely essential. But it also means when you're coming back into the country as an Australian with an Australian passport, you have to isolate yourself for 14 days. Erin took off when none of this was in place. Hey, it's Erin here. I'm currently spending 10 days in Japan, five in Hakuba and five in Tokyo. Just before I left, I was in contact with my HR managers and my uh, newsroom managers um, just talking about, you know, what to expect and they basically said to follow the smart traveler website so I took off from Sydney and it was saying to head over there with caution Um, and as soon as I landed that was red alert and do not travel unless you absolutely have to so already in Japan jumped on a shuttle went down to Hakuba and the overall vibe is pretty chill Um, a lot of Aussies in Hakuba Um, 
Um, so that's been all right so far, and the snow has been epic, so that's a bit of a positive. Um, but heading to Tokyo tomorrow, and um, from what I've heard, there's lots of things closed. A lot of the main tourist attractions will be closed, um, but it will be good to uh, seek out the not-so-touristy places in Tokyo. I'm sure there's still going to be plenty to do and plenty of yummy food to enjoy. So that'll be okay, but it's uh, going to be interesting heading home now after that and uh, having to be self-isolated for two weeks. Um, I'd love to work from home as a radio news journal, but I don't know if that's going to be possible. Um, but, you know, it's obviously for the best and it's obviously um, a very safe decision. Uh, so, yeah, I'll just be mentally preparing for two weeks uh, in a room, which is going to be uh, very interesting. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty crazy time. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting to be over here when all of this is happening. Um, definitely in a once in a lifetime situation. Um, but yeah, definitely going to be interesting to see what happens in the next five days whilst I'm in Tokyo. Um, so yeah. There's so much to talk about in relation to this virus, including the difference lockdowns have made to locations that are victims of over tourism. Kim, did you see the pictures today? The canals in Venice have cleared up. They're like clear water now. There's got to be a positive to this, hey? Absolutely. Look, have you noticed a change in your area, the places where you go? We'd love you to share uh, that with us as too. We're keen to get as many stories out there as possible. Yeah, you're the people that are on the ground and uh, yeah, we'd love to share your stories. Keep well and while it's not practical for travelling currently, don't quit your daydreams, Phil. Absolutely not. Okay. Bye. Bye. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.